Good morning, church. I get by with a little help from my friends. And uh, we're continuing our series, Relationships 101. And last week, if you, were, if you were here, you know that we began the series on the family. And uh, I, I want to continue that, but I, I want to lean into marriage. And I thought there's nobody better to share that with me than uh, my better half here. And, and you'll, you'll understand that she's my better half after we've after we get started here, it'll become real clear. Uh, and I, there's a passage of Scripture. Last week, you'll know that I launched into um, the, the second, ser- second part of the series looking at the Beatitudes. This is a, a sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. We all know it as the longest message ever preached. Some Bible scholars think it was actually days long. So, I want you to know that there are people who preach longer than I do and go over time way more than I do. So uh, Jesus, in sharing that Sermon on the Mount, he gave the Beatitudes. Matter of fact, the Beatitudes are, are what Celebrate Recovery is founded on. And uh, it's important that we learn those. And we've done, uh, I've done a series on them here. We'll probably do it again at some point. And Jesus gives nuggets, and he's preaching to everybody. So he wasn't just preaching to couples or family. He's preaching to everybody. But taking what he was preaching and applying it to our families and applying it to our marriages is what we want to do over, over several of these weeks here in this series. And I did it, launched it last week, and I just want to continue on that. And the, 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 the verse that I want to look at today, Jesus makes so clear. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Today, as I look at our culture and we look at families, one of the things that I see in our culture is that we don't have a lot of peacemakers. If you're paying attention to politics, there aren't any peacemakers out there. And if you're looking at our relationships, and I'm looking at our culture and families in our culture, I think I see more of conflict and tension and strife than I see peacemakers. And and God has something better than that in mind for his children. He has something better than that in mind for his followers. And the reality is God has so much more than that. And, I, you know, some of us might say, well, James, you, you, don't, you don't know my home. There's, there's a lot of dysfunction in my home, and, and most of it is not my fault, is what, what we would say. And, and, you know, all of us, I, 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 bet you, I bet you I can prove it right here. All of us in our families, there's that one person that's, that's just difficult to deal with, that one person that's kind of out there. You know, there's just that one almost Maybe it's not your immediate family. Maybe it's your extended family. But all of our families have that, that one really... If, if you have someone like that in your family, let me just see your hand real quick. Yeah, c- comes right to mind, don't they? How many of you are that person? You're not supposed to raise your 
Every family, uh, every family has that. You know, um, relationships are not easy. And it's easy for a family to slip into a dysfunctional cycle. It just happens, and it often begins with, with you hurt me. No, you hurt me. And, and, and so it starts, and, and, and the, a dysfunctional cycle can begin. And, and there's so many different ways that it happens. And just, just to kind of throw a few of them out there, you, you may be trying to raise your kids, and, and your mom keeps sticking her nose into how you ought to raise your kids. And, and, and that begins a dysfunctional cycle. Or, or maybe, um, maybe your kids are always fighting. And I, I, can remember, um, I can remember as a kid, there were at least two or maybe even three times that I remember my mom saying to us, don't make me pull this car over. <laughs> my dad never had to say that. My dad just had to say one of our names, and it didn't even matter which one it was. We all just snapped right back into reality. But I can remember my mom saying that. Maybe you're a teenager. When you're a teenager, you, you, you can say, you know what? I, my, my parents just don't trust me. They are so controlling. And that can start a dysfunctional cycle. And in our culture, so many families are blended families. Because families get broken apart, and then they get put back together, and a new family is formed. And maybe you're dealing with that, or maybe the ex in your life is a real problem, and there's a dysfunction going on there. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a whole reality to this that God has for us in our marriages and in our families. And I, I just want us to really, I just want us to really look at that this morning and open it up because he does not want us to live our lives in dysfunction and strife and pain. Yeah. You know, the biblical or the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Uh-huh. And um, if you look into the, the further meaning of that word, if you go back to the original Hebrew translation, it means so much more than just peace. It means, I wish you the highest good. In, in other words, it's like, it's like saying, I wish that you would experience God's presence and God's pleasure in your life. And can't you just imagine Jesus as he was with his disciples and then as he went on in his ministry and he was traveling in and out of towns and meeting people and, and, and healing people, touching people, and, and people were getting saved and coming to know him. Can't you imagine how he entered these towns and left these towns with that same shalom, that same, I, I, I want you to have that my highest good in your life. I want you to experience my presence and, my, and, and I want to be a, a part of your life. I just can imagine Jesus just having that kind of an impact on people, that shalom kind of a greeting on people. And I think that, you know, even with us here as, as followers of Christ here today, 2,000 and some odd years later, you know, there's a higher calling for us as believers, as followers of Christ. And I believe that calling is shalom. That calling is peace. We've been called to be peacemakers. And, you know, there's a big difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Mm. When I hear the word peacekeeper, I think... I don't know about you, but I think that's a good thing. Doesn't it sound like a good thing, someone who keeps peace? But if you look at the the behaviors of somebody who's a peacekeeper, it's actually not positive. 
they will avoid conflict to keep peace. A peacekeeper will say things like, well, we can just agree to disagree. Or maybe they'll just not even say anything and they'll just kind of stand on the sidelines and, and stay quiet. But you know what's happening inside? It's not quiet. If they're avoiding conflict in order to keep peace, they're taking that conflict and instead of dealing with it and addressing it and talking about it, they're stuffing it. Because conflict, you can only do two things with conflict. You either talk about it or you stuff it. And so a peacekeeper is stuffing all that conflict and all those unresolved issues. They're stuffing it deep inside. And we know, because I'm sure you've been around somebody who is a stuffer, and what ends up happening, eventually, they get full, right? <laughs> they can't stuff any more issues and conflict in there. And they're just walking along, and all of a sudden, one little thing happens, and it's not even a big thing, and they explode. And everybody who's in within, like, earshot of them they're just like carnage on the ground. And they're just like wiping all these issues and all this conflict off of them. And they're just shaking their head and saying, what in the world just happened? All he did was leave a cabinet door open. But the problem is they never resolved that conflict. They never talked about those things. And so there was the only choice that was left was for them to explode. But on the other hand, a peacemaker, see, they deal with conflict differently they will embrace conflict to make peace rather than keep peace. They will embrace the conflict to make peace. Now, they're not just walking around looking for conflict, right? But they're not afraid to have, to step into conflict, to have a hard conversation and say, we're not just going to work on this <coughs> issue. We're going to work through this issue. We're committed. And, because, and, they, and they have this mindset because they understand that relationships with unresolved conflict are, are toxic. And so in our relationship, James and I are committed to each other, and we love each other enough to say that when we have conflict, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it until we get to the place of resolution. Not to an agree to disagree, but we're going to talk about it until we get to a place of, of, of resolution. Because we love each other enough to know that we want shalom in our relationship. Mm -hmm. We want God's highest good in our relationship. We want his presence and his pleasure in our home, in our relationship. And that's what a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, does and how they address conflict. You know, we, we can so often think that this sounds so difficult. It sounds hard to attain that. And this morning, I, I, we're just going to go through three points. God has laid it out so clearly in his word. This is the desire of his heart for our families and for our marriages. And there's a very clear path to that. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And I, I, I just want to kind of dig into that. And if you were here last week, you know, there's, there's a phrase that I laid out there. Uh, it's, it's not, we're, we're not just a Christian home, but we're a Christ-centered family. You might say, well, wait a minute, James. Isn't that the same thing? It should be. It should be the same thing. But we live in a culture we're really, even to today, even as our world is shifting to more of a godless society, the reality is more than half of our culture, if you were to ask them, are they Christian, they would tell you yes. And so, so by name, we, are, we, are, we, we may call ourselves a Christian, but, 
But we may not be a Christ-centered family. And that's what I want to focus on. That's, that's what I want us to understand is that as followers of Christ with our families, we want to place Christ right in the center of our family. See, he's not just a part of our lives. He, he's not just a, a part of our thinking and, and we point to him once in a while. Or, or he's, he's not like... He's not like a hairspray kind of God where you're going through life, but then when you need God, you just pull out this can of God and you spray it and you lean into it. That, that's not what he is. His, his design and desire is to be at the center of our lives and at the center of our families. And this morning, just taking Jesus' words here in the Beatitudes, blessed are those. And that's where we want to be. We want to be blessed and, and, and uh, not just a part of our lives. And th that means that as a family, when we're going through a hard time, we're not just going to write off a family member. When our marriage is going through a hard time, we're not just going to write the person off. You know, I, I, how, many of us can, how many of us can relate to having gone through uh, some, some, some relationship or a family ordeal when, when we said, I am never going to forgive them? As a matter of fact, they're going to have to come back to me on their hands and knees crawling before I forgive them. And, and we were that far out in a stance. Talk about dysfunction. But a Christ-centered home. And Paul, Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 12. I want to look at this, this passage of Scripture just quickly with you. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. When we hear a phrase like that, so often we think, oh man, I wish Freddie was here to hear that. I, I wish my wife had, could, could hear that. Paul's not going down that road. Look what, he's, look what he says next. If it is possible, in other words, it isn't always possible, but, but as far as it depends on you, He's talking directly to us. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he goes on in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In our relationships, so often we are tempted to step onto a path that has a destination that is evil. We're, we're the enemy of our soul would love, would absolutely love our marriages to break apart. The enemy of our soul would absolutely love our families to break apart. The enemy of our soul would love for bitterness to grab a root in us and separation happen. And bitterness is it just is so destructive. And, and God says, no. And Paul's given us real clarity. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and there are three things that I, I just want us to, to look at as, as a peacemaker. A commitment. As a peacemaker, I will, number one, tell the truth in love. I will tell the truth in love. And Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, he says this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. 
In other words, Christ is at the center of our lives. He's at the center of our families. And what is he doing? He's making us more and more like himself. Paul starts it out. He says, we will speak the truth in love. You know what he doesn't say? We will yell the truth in love. How many times have, have we, we tried that one? I, you know, you, you always leave your pants at the edge of the bed. Karen would say, you always leave the cabinet doors open. I, I'm getting more and more helpful as, as I get older, I guess. I'll fill the dishwasher. I'll empty the dishwasher. I'll, I'll do dishes. Matter of fact, I'm OCD, so when I open up the dishwasher, I have to rearrange the dirty dishes in the dishwasher because nobody else knows how to do it right, you know? So, so, so I, it, bless you, brother. I, it, it, it's, it's just reality in our home. But, but one of my bad habits has been I, I'll, I'll come in, you know, and get a Tums in the middle of the night or something, and so I'll leave that cabinet door open, you know, or I'll empty the dishwasher, and I'll, I'll just leave a couple of doors open and f forget to do what you... And, and uh, it's, come, it's come to light that that seems to really bother Karen. So... Uh, Why I, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, getting, I'm getting better at it, but, but I'll be totally transparent with you. There are times that I walk in the kitchen and I open a whole bunch of doors and I just walk out. No, he opens every single door and every single drawer and then he walks out. And then I just wait for my name to be screamed from the other end of the house. It's bad. You, you, it's, you, it's, a, it's a struggle. But there's another funny thing he does. Uh, well, it's not, not funny, but you can't help it. God help you. So he, he can't see. And if you saw his notes, his letters are like this big. And so we got an air fryer recently. Does anybody have an air fryer? And do you love it? I love my air fryer. So we got this air fryer, and I made pork chops in it last night, and I had put some, you know, keto breading on it, which means almond flour. And um, some, there was some residue that was left, you know, on the door of the fryer. And so after dinner, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to do the dishes. I said, great, thank you. Um, so I walk into the kitchen to get a glass of water, and I walk by, and I see that the air fryer is still dirty. And so I just looked at him, and I said, because he was walking out of the kitchen like, I'm done. And I'm like, no, job's not done. The air fryer. And he says, what about it? And I said, it's dirty. And he's like, I didn't see it. And that made it just like clicked in my head. All the times where I walk into the kitchen and the countertop is filthy, he can't see. Bless his heart, he just can't see. So... But back to telling truth in love. You tell, you tell the truth. There are two things. These are not in your notes. I want you to write these down because this is, this is important. When we are telling the truth in love, there, there are two little sidebars that, that you, you need, I need to tell you. Telling the truth in love, uh, you do it during non-conflict times. You, you don't choose in the middle of an argument to then bring on something that you want to tell your spouse in love. You, you just don't do that. When you're telling the truth in love, it has to be during non-conflict times. And you will find that it will be so much more effective. It will not be effective in a conflict time. The other thing I would say is attack the issue, not the person. Attack the issue, 
not the person. As a matter of fact, I, I, I kind of I wrote some verbiage out. I, I think something like this would be a wise way to deal with it. You would say something like, there's something that you do that you may not realize, because if you did, you probably wouldn't do it, but it really is hurtful to me. Because when you, when you phrase something like that, you, you are honoring your partner. You're showing deference to you. You're showing grace. You're giving your partner the benefit of the doubt. And, and, and we just need to do that. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So number one, tell the truth in love. Number two, apologize when I'm wrong. Apologize when I'm wrong. The brother of Jesus, James in chapter five, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, so that your body may be healed so that your mind may be healed, so that your emotions may be healed, so, so that you may be completely healed. And, uh, you know, that, that's saying, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry that I, and say what you did, would you please forgive me? Being willing to go that far. And Karen will tell you, I've done that a ton of times. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. Um, so... This is hard. I don't know if it's hard for you guys, but if I'm going to be completely transparent, apologizing to James is hard for me. Not because I'm prideful, I don't think. It's, I, I don't know. It's just like, I, it's this feeling of, I got to call myself out on something. And also this feeling of, I don't know how he's going to react. I mean, hopefully he's going to forgive me, right? But that, but there might be some conversation. I might not. I might withhold this body from her. You know. <laughs> What's your next point? You know. <laughs> good at apologizing. You are, I mean, for, for 27 years that we've been together, you are so good about recognizing that you've done something wrong or that, you know, you've hurt my feelings or that you haven't followed through on something. I, I can't even think of anything particular in this moment, but I just know that you are, I, I guess you're just very self-aware or I'm just really transparent, but you are really good about recognizing that you need to apologize for something and then asking for forgiveness. And that's not, I mean, and that is such an example to me, but it's an example to our kids, example to your team, to the people that you surround yourself with in your life, because I know that, um, that you care. And so as hard as it might be for some of you to apologize and as hard as it is for me to do that, it's so worth it. And, and, and it's, a, it's a builder of trust. It's, it make, you're making deposits of trust into your relationship when you humble yourself ask and ask for forgiveness. I, I think one of the things that's important to, to state here is that so often we don't go that far. So often we will go as far as remorse. We, we, we're sorry that we got caught or, 
or it's more like, I'm sorry that you got your feelings hurt. Say, but repentance is something else. Repentance is, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you, would you please forgive me? Two totally different things. And when we stop short with remorse, we just never get there. Healing never happens. And so um, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to hear Jesus' words. Blessed are the peacemakers. And we're called to, to put Christ in the center of all that we do. So why don't you take the next point? Maybe you can, I'll, I'll behave. So the third thing that a peacemaker does is they forgive and then they let it go. So notice I didn't say they forgive and forget because that would be unrealistic um, to, to purposely choose to forget something. I mean, I suppose some things slip out, some things fall out, especially the older we get. But to think that we're going to forgive and then forget it is not realistic. And quite honestly, we, we haven't even been called to do that. But we have been called to forgive. And as peacemakers, as followers of Christ, if we want to have that peace in our home, we need to go a step further of forgiving to letting it go. Because if we don't let it go, I would even push back and challenge and say, have you really forgiven? You know? And it's hard because, you know, we all go through pain in our life. And maybe, maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you have a spouse who had an affair and you would say to me, Karen, this is hard. How can I ever forgive them? Or maybe it's somebody who was in a position where they should be protecting you and they took advantage of you and you would say, how in the world am I going to forgive that? And I get it. It's not easy. It's hard. And I've experienced things that were hard for me to get over and to let go. But I want you to hear this, and I don't want you to miss this, because it is so vitally important that as a Christ follower, if we want to live in a home that has that shalom blessing and has that, that peace on it, and if we want to live in a home that's a Christ-centered home, forgiveness has to be a yeah. part of what we do on a daily basis. It has to be a norm in our homes. And Paul talks about this in Colossians 3.13. He says, bear with each other, which means give grace, have patience, give space to each other, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, if you have a hurt, if you have um, an offense with somebody. Bear with each other and forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Because Hasn't the Lord forgiven you freely, even when you didn't deserve it? I know he's done Amen. that for me. And people will say that a marriage is really nothing more than the union of two great forgivers. And if we're going to go as far as to forgive, we have to take that next step and forget it. To let it, not forget it, to let it, let it go. And I understand how hard it is. And none of us are exempt from pain in our life. And we, we've all gone through painful experiences in our life. Maybe you've been hurt or betrayed or deceived or, you've, or violated. But here's the thing. You have a choice. You have a choice to change your thinking about that situation. You have a choice to not be a victim of your circumstances and to not be a victim of your thought life. You have the choice to do that because in Christ... You are more than a conqueror, and I am Amen. more than a conqueror. We have been called to a higher calling in our thought process as Christ followers. And nobody really understood that more than Paul. Paul was on his way to Damascus. He was, he was walking down the road, and he was going there to put Christians in jail. 
He was not a Christ follower at this point in his life. He was going to put them in jail. And Jesus stopped him on the path, and he interrupted Paul's life, and Paul was transformed, by, and his mind was renewed, and he, his, his life just shifted forever. And Paul said, and Paul knew in that moment, that he was no longer a slave to his circumstances, and he was no longer a slave to his past, and he was no longer a slave to his thought processes, and they changed forever. And he did, he knew that because he had the same, he had that power in him, the same power, by the way, that raised Jesus from the dead, and the same power that you and I have in our lives as Christ followers to change our thought processes and to change the way that we think, and so that we have the mindset of the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, which will then produce life and peace and freedom in our lives. And Paul talks about this even more in 2 Corinthians uh, 10, chapters 4 and 5. He says, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, those are false teachings, and tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, tools fitting every loose thought, emotion, and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. And I just want to stop and sit there on this one for just a second. Loose thought, emotions, and impulses. I don't know about you, when I think of those words, that just speaks to me really kind of an out of control and an out of balance kind of a, of a mindset and of a, of a process of, of, of having thoughts in my mind that flow through my mind into um, behaviors and into decisions that I make. And they don't sound like the mind of Christ to me. But, but Paul tells us that we have tools that we've been given by God where we can take those loose thoughts, those emotions, and those impulses, and we can restructure them and we can reform them into something that looks like Christ, something that looks like the mind of Christ. And the whole process of our thinking and our, our decision-making then changes because we have the weapons to tear down the lies, to tear down the strongholds and the patterns and the habits. So you get to choose. You get to choose to change your thinking. You get to choose to forgive and to let go. <coughs> and when you do that, I'll tell you, it's... it's it's not going to change the person that offended you, probably, and it's not going to change the situation. You can't go back and change what already happened. But what it is going to change, and this is the best part, it's going to change you. It's going to change you, and you're going to have that new mindset, that mindset of Christ, and you're going to be walking in freedom because you don't have to be a victim of the circumstances. You don't have to be a victim of the offenses that, that were against you. And you have a new calling in Christ, and, and you're going to be free. And the other thing that it's going to do is it's going to defeat the enemy's plan to destroy you. Because there is an enemy, and we have an enemy as Christ followers, and he wants nothing more than to destroy us, to marginalize us, to make us feel forgotten, to make us bitter, and to make us feel alone. But by changing your thought, by making that choice to change how you think, you now have the mind of Christ. And you are now a conqueror, and now you're victorious. Yeah. There's nothing that the enemy would enjoy to do more than to break our families apart, than to break our marriages apart. And, and Jesus so clearly does not, does not want that for us. And yet so often it becomes, it, it becomes our culture, and we can see it so much. And yet, when we're a follower of Christ, when Christ is at the center of our homes and our marriage comes into a tough spot, 
we don't walk out. We don't write our children off and say, that's it, I'm done with you. We may, be, we may go through a difficult time. We may go through some tough love with our kids, but we never write them off. We don't, we don't walk away from our in-laws I, just because they're annoying. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you know this or not, but in-laws have a gift. It's the gift of being annoying. You just have to get used to it and live with it. You don't write them off just because they're annoying. And we don't walk away from family because family is God's design. And family is precious to him. Church, I don't want you to, to, to forget what, what James just said. Family is worth it. Your family is worth it. My family is worth it. It's worth the work and the commitment and the faithfulness in becoming peacemakers. And maybe that's a new thought for you and a new concept for you, but I want you to grab hold of that because it's worth the commitment. It's worth the work. It's worth the grace and the space that we give each other. It's worth the forgiveness. It's worth the dying to ourselves to feel offended because we really don't have a right to feel offended because Christ is not offended by us. And so it is worth it. And I want you to know that if you do this, if you make this commitment and you are faithful to it, the generations that are coming up behind you will feel the ripple effects of you being a peacemaker. And you're going to be building trust into their lives. And remember that guy in your family, that guy who's, who's difficult to deal with? This might be the one thing that he needs to see to know that there is a God in heaven who loves him and has a plan and a purpose for his life, yeah. all because you were a peacemaker. It yeah. is worth it. Yes. Let's stand together. Let's sing together. Your family is worth it. My family is worth it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That is who we are as followers of Christ. And let me just stop here for a second real quickly. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. Let me explain what that means just real quickly here. Because I believe it's so important that that we do this so often in our services. God sent His Son, Jesus, who we know, you know the story, He came in the form of a baby. So necessary because we live in a fallen and a broken world and we need a Savior. And God sent His Son to be our Savior. How how do I make that work in my life? You make that work by believing in Him, by believing that He is who He said He was. Jesus is the Son of God, came to earth to lay, willingly lay his life down. They nailed him to a cross. They crucified him. His blood was shed. They put him in a tomb. He rose from the dead on the third day, proving forever that he was the Son of God. Then he ascended into heaven where the Bible clearly says that he is seated right next to his Father, interceding constantly for you and for me. And by believing that, we become his children. And you know what that does? I got news for you. Every one of us here is going to die. Every one of us are going to leave this planet at some time. 
It's just going to happen. But when you're a believer, when you're a follower of Christ, you are now a part of his family. You are his child. The moment you leave this planet, you are with him in heaven. And not only does he do that for, for us as his children, but we allow him to become the Lord of our lives. In other words, we allow him to become the center of our life. We allow him to become the center of our family. And we are then living that life that Jesus was talking about. If you've never accepted him as your Savior, you can do that very simply this morning just by believing in him. Let me pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, just do me a favor. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just stick your hand up and put it right back down. Do that this morning. Yes, 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 yes. Lord, it is such a joy to see these hands this morning, knowing that you are our Savior and, and they have stepped across a line by believing in you. Now they're joint heirs with us, joint heirs with you. They're part of your family. And the Bible says all of heaven rejoices when one comes. And I saw at least four this morning. And you know the hearts. There may have been more, Lord. Father, I pray your blessing on their life as they continue to follow you and continue to allow you to be the Lord of their lives. Bless this service, Lord, as we worship you in our next song and as our altar is open for those who need prayer. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful for you, our Savior. God bless this time so special. In your name we pray and everyone said, Amen. If, you're, if you raised your hand, let me do, you're going to say, well, James, what do I do next? I'll tell you what you do next. You just do what we do. You show up here on Sunday mornings because this is your family. And we'd encourage you to get into a life group. I'd encourage you to, to open up. your. If you don't have a Bible, they're in the chairs. You just take one with you. Go to the New Testament. Open up, the, to, open up to the New Testament. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just start reading them, and you'll get to know Jesus. Let's worship the Lord together.